KB is on Go Call Your Sister. We are so excited about today's episode. Obviously, our favorite guest we've ever had. Um, I think we're just really excited to get to share about a topic that is really close to our heart, share about our family's recovery um, journey. And I think that a lot of people have asked for this episode. Um, We've had, you know, my mom coming on. We've had people ask about, you know, sobriety in general. But I feel like it did take us a while to be able to talk about this and feel comfortable and educated and kind of like healed from the whole journey, which is why I think we waited until episode 19 to do a sobriety journey episode. Yeah, it was a little too raw for a, a little bit, yeah. but I feel like everyone's in a, a much better place than we were Yeah, back when we started. Sobriety and recovery is something that I think you're going to learn from this episode is that it really affects every member of the family, not just the person who has to get treatment. And um, I feel like we're finally kind of in a place where we're seeing the joy of recovery and sobriety. And um, so I th- I'm really excited to be able to share our family's story today. Yeah. And for some background, for those of you that don't know, last year was a difficult year for us. It was a doozy. Yeah, it was a lot. So when our younger brother, who's 21, he um, went to rehab back in June and then he was there for 90 days. And then a week after he got out and moved into sober living, my mom went to rehab for she was there for almost 30 days and then she was in a different recovery center for another 30 days so she was gone for 60 days almost so just to set the scene from june to november we had a family member in recovery and i think that you know it's kind of it was a shock to people and i do feel like this is going to be our most listened to episode for a few reasons one because people are nosy and i remember when we started sharing about our family being in recovery, like I remember I posted something about when, when he got out and he had hit 90 days. I think it was the most shared Instagram story I'd ever posted. Like it was like thousands of people were re- were sending wow. it to people on DMs. And I think one, because it was a shock. Like our family has always appeared to have it really together. Yeah. Um, we're really tight knit. We've always been told like, you know, I love your family. You guys are so awesome. So knowing that like someone had to go to recovery and then another person had to go to recovery, I think it really shocked people. And also yeah. I just think, um, you know, recovery and sobriety is not really openly talked about that much. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of people have had family members who have gone to treatment, but they rarely talk about it and share about it, which is why I think this is going to be a really good episode and a really highly listened episode as well. So going through all of that, Bird, what was the biggest thing that you learned about yourself? I've learned a lot about myself, but I actually will kind of spin on this question and talk about what God has shown me through recovery so or through like this recovery journey. So something that a lot of people ask me is, you know, oh, why did you move to Hawaii? And I had a really had no answer for that when I first moved. It was just like starting in like March, February, March, my heart was just really pulled to moving to Hawaii. And I had no idea why I had really no exact reason. And so then in June, I remember it was June 2nd. I'll literally never forget that day. But um, when goes to treatment in Nashville, and I remember, um, the days leading up to that and then the days that it, um, after it, I was just sitting, I was hysterically crying, um, had a really, really hard time with it. One, because me and Wynn had a really codependent relationship on each other. We're 16 months apart. We're like best friends. And um, 
I could not believe that this is all happening right before I was about to move to the middle of the ocean and live mm-hmm. this life that I had no idea what was going to happen. It was so unsure. And I remember just thinking like, God, like, why are you doing this to me right before I leave my family? I got to see Wynn on the 4th of July. So two days before I moved to Hawaii. And that's when I was really starting to see some progress with Wynn. And then my mom, so um, flash forward, it's what September? Yeah, it's mm-hmm. September, and my mom's getting ready to come to Hawaii two days before she was about to come. My dad calls me and tells me that she's now going to recovery. Wynn had just gotten out, and I remember um, I literally fell to my knees in our kitchen. I couldn't believe that my mom was going to have to go again or that we were going to have another family member. So kind of going off of what God had shown me through that was just like, you know, I moved to Hawaii not really knowing why I was put out here. And looking back on it, I think that being removed from all the things that were going on at home, it really taught me so many lessons about like how strong I am. You know, I used to be really dependent on my family to get me through like tough situations. I learned that I really am a strong person and can handle a lot of things while not being in the middle of it. So Mm -hmm. while it was hard for me not to be there and be able to like directly support my family, I learned a lot about myself. Um, I learned a lot about how tough I am, how I can handle hard things. And also just like, you know, finding God's glory through a really, what at the time seemed like a really dark situation. And I think this could be like a shock to a lot of people because, you know, they see us on social media, they see, you know, oh, these posts. And that's why I always say like social media is such a highlight reel because in the fall, while I was posting these amazing photos and videos, like I was also going through one of the hardest times of my life because when you have a family member in treatment, in a way you kind of lose them for a little bit and it's it's very yeah. unexpected. So, you know, we lost a brother for 90 days because you don't have direct contact with them. They're not mm-hmm. in your life as presently as they used to be. And then what was even harder was having a mom go because you, then you lose I talk a to mom every day. So that was a huge yeah. shock. Yeah, saying like I would walk to work and call my mom. I call my mom literally once a day. So having her kind of removed from my life for 60 days and not being able to have direct contact on top of thinking that she's about to come to Hawaii and be with me, that was really tough. So I just, I think I just learned a lot about the strength that I have and also just how to never look at someone and judge the situation that you think they're in based on what you see online. Because that was definitely some of like, the darkest times of my life, but also some of the times that I've seen like God's glory shine through the brightest for me. I mean, it was definitely the hardest time of my life. Like I said, we've been blessed to not have any, you know, thing major up until this moment happen, but I was just trying so hard to keep it together and just stay strong for, you know, everyone else. And it finally took me to a point where I was just, I just broke down. I was like, I cannot handle this. I can't always be the strong one. I can't always act like everything is fine. And it was affecting every part of my life. Like I was not focused at work. I wasn't happy like with anything. And I just felt so disengaged from everything and just so much anxiety. And it just, you can't press it down. Like you have to get those emotions out or it will completely just take over your life. Yeah, definitely. And just like, you know, the way that God provides, like the friends that I've met out here, I had such a strong support system. Something that I was really scared of was coming out to Hawaii and like not having a big, strong community of people who like knew about my family situation to be out here and supporting me. And just like the ways that my friends out here just like stepped up to be with me, to support me, always asking about how my family was doing, how Wynn was, how mom was. Um, It was just really amazing. And that's kind of when it opened when my eyes kind of opened to the reason, oh, I was put out 
here for a reason. You know, God knew exactly mm-hmm. what he was doing when he placed Hawaii on my heart, when he put me so far away from you guys during this time, because he knew that I needed to be a little bit separated because I'm usually the one that's always in the middle of everything. Well, I feel like that was good for you because I think that you are such an empath that you take on everyone else's emotions. And so the fact that you weren't physically here was actually a really good thing. Yeah. So definitely like all around a crazy journey. And I, looking back on it at the time, it was kind of hard to see the good in it, but now it's just one of the biggest, like recovery has been the biggest blessing and the biggest gift that um, our family could have ever received. It's definitely changed. It's changed our whole family for the better and it's enabled us to be able to help people, you know? Definitely. Um, So I'm really excited about this episode. I'm really excited for you guys to hear from our mom and hear, you know, her heart and her story of recovery and just kind of like how our family has, how our family has changed through recovery and um, just all the blessings that is brought to us, but also the hardships. And I hope that it can resonate with some people out there who might also have uh, family members who are struggling or are in recovery as well. Yeah. And if you ever, if you're listening to this and you want to talk more about it, or if you have any questions, like we are always happy to answer anything. My mom is happy to talk to anyone about this. So just feel free to reach out. Definitely. I get messages pretty often from people who are either in the, who either are family members of people in recovery who share resources with me, which is really awesome. I've had people reach out and say like, oh, I've loved these podcasts or these books. Or on the flip side, people who have just had a parent go into treatment and they know that we've done that before and kind of asking advice. So yeah, any, anytime people want to know, I love answering messages about, um, you know, being a family member of someone in recovery because it is, it is a lot and it, mm-hmm. it is something that people don't talk about as much as how it affects the family members. Yeah. But um, before we get into the episode, let's run through our week really fast and then we'll get into this one with our mom. Yeah. What's your high this week? Oh my gosh. I had so many highs this week. So it was my birthday last Tuesday, which was literally the best day of my entire life. I like have been in such a funk the last, I guess my low would be the post birthday funk that I've been in since my birthday has passed. Um, But yeah, I had the best birthday, went on a boat with my friends. Libby, my best friend was in town for a week. She was here Saturday, Saturday to Saturday. And it was just such an amazing week. And um. My low would be, though, that we had to take her to the airport yesterday. And I was telling Ali this. I don't know what it is right now, but I literally got home from taking Libby to the airport and I was like weeping, like bawling. And I think it was a mix of like being sad that Libby had to go, my birthday being over, having to like go back to work. So I took the whole week off. So I'd like go back to the real world. And it was weird because I've never cried when anyone has ever left Hawaii. Like even when I know you didn't cry when I left. I I know. And normally I like think to myself like, oh, you know, I'm not really sad. Like they have to leave Hawaii, but like I get to stay. But I literally was like bawling my eyes out on the phone yesterday. And like now that my mom is so well versed in like the recovery and like therapy world, she was telling (laughs) me on the phone, she was like, cry it out, bird. Like it's gonna, it's gonna lower your stress level. You just gotta cry it out. And I was like, I just miss Libby so much. And it was just, yeah, but my high was definitely the week that I had with her and my birthday and the low was just like kind of having to come to an end. I, I hate when something exciting passes and it's over, you know, you look forward to it for so long. I think every single week for like six episodes, my high or like the thing I was excited about was Libby coming in my birthday Mm -hmm. and then now it's passed, but there's a lot of there's more a lot good of more ahead. good things. Yeah, something I'm excited about is I'm going to California this weekend. 
So just for the weekend, that'll be really fun. What are you doing there? I'm just uh, going to see a friend Mm -hmm. and have a little weekend trip. I'm going to eat some Chick-fil-A, enjoy all the things the mainland has to offer, go to Trader (laughs) Joe's, and then head back to Hawaii. So what about you? What's your high and low? Um, I was in Houston this week for work and my eye is we, I discovered the world's best chocolate chip cookie at Tiny's, Tiny Boxwoods. They have the best chocolate chip cookie. I had to eat it twice. It was so good. So that was a high for me. I also, while I was there, I got to see Lee and Caroline, two really close friends, So that was good to spend some time with them. And then also when I I got back Thursday and Friday night, I just had a night and I stayed in. I took a bath. I got rest. It it was lovely. It was definitely a high. My low, I think, was – I think my low was just being kind of worn down from all the travel the past two weeks. But, I mean, they were all fun trips. But it was nice to be back in my bed. Yeah. What's something that you're excited about that's coming up for you? Something I am excited about. Um, I'm excited to get my hair highlighted this week because my roots are like six inches <laughs> long. So I'm really yeah, oh excited gosh. about that. I had to move my appointment two weeks and it's bad. Hence the reason I've been wearing hats for the past week. Yeah, my hair is like hanging on by a literal thread. Like I mean that in the literal sense. And Sarah Kate is coming back to Hawaii. She's actually doing like a bunch of people's hair out here. And I she's saw bringing that. a few. Yeah, she's bringing a few girls from the studio to Hawaii, but they're not coming until March 26th. And I'm like looking at my hair and I'm like, oh my God, I don't know how I'm going to function. But yeah, oh, I might wow. be with you on the hat game. But yeah, look at my roots. They're, just, they're huge. Look at mine. It, it's yeah. black. I have oh, black well, hair. Those are really bad. I know. It's, <laughs> oh my God. It's so bad. Uh, what day are you going? Tuesday. Okay, good. That's in two days. You'll be fine. I think I'm going to have to get like a color with less maintenance because it's been really blonde lately and my hair is really dark. So anyway, um, all right. Well, let's get into this episode. I know we um, talked about a lot, so I'm just really excited that mom decided to come on. I'm so proud of her for being willing to tell her story and how she's been able to help and inspire others. And, you know, I think that this is just such an important part of her journey and just mm-hmm. has helped, has allowed her to help so many people through this. Um, and yeah. I'm, just, I'm and really it, proud of her. It definitely takes a lot of courage to talk about. It's easy to talk about your best days. It's hard to talk about your darkest days. So I yeah. really like commend her on being able to come on here, share her journey of something that's a little bit sensitive and kind of hard to talk about. So just, her having the courage to speak her truth and give her guidance and insight on this topic is amazing. And we are just so incredibly proud and grateful and honored to welcome our most special guest of all, Christy Bridgers, our mom, to Go Call Your Sister. Woo! Today, we are welcoming our most highly requested guest to the podcast, KB, Christy Bridgers, our mom, (laughs) is joining us today. Mom, welcome to Go Call Your Sister. You are our most special guest yet, and we're so excited to have you. I'm beyond honored. I feel so special. (laughs) 
Well, we promise we won't cuss as much on this episode, considering yeah. you told us we cussed too much last week. Thank you, girls. You have beautiful <laughs> mouths. Use the beautiful words you have in your hearts. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, Mom. So alcoholism looks different for everyone. Can you talk a little bit about what it looked like for you and what your relationship with drinking was like? Absolutely. Alcohol is different for everyone, for sure. I truly believe that everyone's story does look different. For me personally, I never really considered I was an alcoholic because I was not a, you know, sun up to sundown drinker. My drinking was more at social activities. I live in a very social town, so there was lots of places and spaces that involved alcohol. And for me, it just was a celebration and something fun that I did with my friends. And it just became a part of my life. And, you know, I really just got to the point where I just did not have a turnoff button. I was not drinking like my friends. I was drinking more. And for me, my problem was always I didn't know when to stop. And part of that is you know, I didn't want the party to be over. And my alcohol definitely intensified as I got older and became really using it as a crutch, more or less just to numb out instead of really, you know, diving into what I was really feeling. So for me, it became a, you know, numbing and, you know, medicating thing. And that's when my really alcohol got out of control. Yeah, I think that the most surprising. I feel like people are shocked when they realize that you went to rehab and all of that because you don't come across as what a typical alcoholic looks like. It's not like you were, you know, sneaking vodka in the middle of the night. It was just a point of where you never could stop. And I feel like there is there a scientific, is there some fact about how women as they get older, alcohol affects them differently? Yes, for sure. And I do think women you know, as we age, what used to work for us doesn't work anymore. Our hormones change. We, you know, sometimes change our eating habits. And two glasses of wine, you know, started affecting me far differently when I got into my 40s than it really did in my 30s. And I don't know if my body just wasn't metabolizing it, but, you know, it definitely changed and the amount that I consume changed as well. And I think women put a lot of pressure on themselves as caretakers, people pleasers. And, you know, I know for me, I really use that as a coping mechanism. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey into sobriety? Um, Where did you get treatment and what was the process that you went through? Well, my sobriety journey began this year in September. And I really, I was struggling. I didn't really know how to ask for help because I've always been the helper. So my journey started. Enneagram two. Mom's also an Enneagram two. <laughs> I would say though, in a way, sorry to cut you off, mom, but I would say that it almost started in June. Yeah, when, I would say it when, started with when. When when had to go because that's when our whole family's like sobriety journey kind of began. You know. Yeah, it really you know got. I think my journey really did start in June when I took my youngest child, your brother, when to rehab and. I really got thrown into the recovery world big time. And I really started second guessing, what does my life look like? And Mm -hmm. I often said when, you know, I've been on the other side of the wall of rehab, 
with Wynn and, you know, I said when he was there, where's my rehab? You know, I needed the help. And it is, it was hard to have him getting the help and, you know, the people on the outside need help too. It's just, I do think that I began to look at my own drinking. I wasn't drinking at that time. I had stopped and it definitely escalated after the fact I took when to rehab and then things started happening in my life that were out of my control. My mother was in a car accident. I had to take care of her. So I was thrust into caretaking and being really concerned about my child. And so eventually I picked back up my drinking and it got out of control really quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember you gave it up for like a month or so after you dropped win. And then I think it was like maybe in July when you came out to visit me in LA and I noticed that you had started to drink again. Um, So tell us a little bit about what happened after that. So in September, I checked into Cumberland Heights in Nashville and I did 26 days of rehab. And that was really the first time that I felt not alone. And um, I started hearing the stories of other women and their struggles with alcohol. And it became very obvious to me, first of all, that I was not alone. And second of all, that Mm -hmm. I did have a problem with alcohol and my life was really heading in a different direction than I wanted it to be heading. And so at Cumberland is where I really got the help and the inside of just the um, allergy that some people have and the way that they can't consume alcohol and how things like becoming an empty nester, my life changing so quickly, you know, life doesn't stop. And it kept coming at me and I was numbing out. And so that was really resonated with me, you know, that I was not alone. I had a problem. And did I want this life of sobriety? And it was probably after about 14 days there and having an amazing support group that I realized I did want a new life. And so the 26 days there, and then my family and therapist realized that I had a lot of trauma and grief that really needed to be dealt with. And so for me, what worked, I went to onsite, which today will be the biggest gift I've ever received. That is where I received the healing for a lot of grief and trauma that I had never dealt with. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a book, A Body Keeps the Score. There's parts of our body that holds on to trauma and we can push it down and push it down, but it's kind of like a beach ball. It's going to pop up one day. And mine was popping up to the sky. And by the time I got to onsite, I was ready for healing. And that is when I dropped the mask. I dropped everything and I just wanted to get well. And mm-hmm. and it was tough and it was hard. And But I'm so thankful that I didn't just walk out of rehab and, you know, didn't get that therapy. I did brain spotting, EMDR, breath work. I was introduced to all these healing things that I didn't even know existed. And the crazy thing is, is that I knew there was trauma in my story, but I didn't even realize some of the trauma was trauma. And I think a lot of us are walking around with all of the stuff inside of us that we've never dealt with, but it eventually will come out and, you know, we have to work on that. And that's what I was able to do at Onsite. Yeah. I feel like it's so important to not only address the problem, but like the root cause of the problem. And so much of that is tied to grief and trauma. And um, can you tell us a little bit about what Onsite is? We obviously know, but for people out there that are not familiar. 
on site is it's an amazing place. I didn't really know that much about it. It's in Cumberland Furnace, Tennessee. They have amazing workshops that are six to seven days that you can go to for intense trauma, all kinds of different workshops they do. And then there's also Milestones, which is where I went. And it's a 30-day, 60, 90-day program where basically you get 10 years of therapy in 30 days. That's how I would describe it. And it's, I'm sure y'all can link this in the bio, but I can't even say the powerful gift it was to me. The way yeah. that the way that Allie feels about like breath work and energy in every episode, <laughs> that's how our mom feels about on site. And there are actually a lot of a lot of celebrities go to on site. Mom, can you share a few of the celebrities? Well no, because of- no, it's private. Oh, you can't. It's what so. they say when you call. What do they say? My y'all got so oh, oh my gosh. Can't confirm or deny. So I cannot confirm yeah. or deny who was there with so there are a, a lot of celebrities that go to on-site. My mom, KB, cannot give exact <laughs> names, obviously. But yeah, when we would call on-site to try to reach our mom, the um, front desk people would say, yeah, we can't confirm or deny. And I'm like, I'm confirming it to you right now. Put her on the phone. So um, it, makes, it makes you feel good. You know what? You can have a million dollars and be whoever. Everyone's got the same insides with a lot of hurt. So yeah. Yeah, you know, and I think that's what OnSite was so great for me about is that it wasn't that I loved alcohol so much. It got to the inside of the issue of why I was using the alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. And it was great because I think so like when and my mom both went to Cumberland Heights and that's just where you work on, you know, that kind of like the outside stuff of rehab. But then when you went to OnSite, you were able to work on like the inside stuff and the healing. And now like just by default from all that you learned at OnSite, it's translated a lot into our lives. Like when I got home from Hawaii, my mom's saging us all. (laughs) We're doing these breath work. We're doing these yoga classes. And you really learned all of that. Yeah. At OnSite and how important it really is to heal your inside. So for sure. And And I love the fact one thing I learned there is to burn some things. I'd never sometimes you need to write things out and then light a fire and say goodbye. Or put it in a creek and let it wash away. <laughs> yeah, just like the physical practice of doing that. Translates. Of just letting things go. And everything they did at OnSite was just the next step into healing your whole body, mind, and spirit. And so I am the biggest cheerleader. Go OnSite. <laughs> yeah, they need to put you in their advertising. <laughs> yeah, Definitely. Okay, so you touched on this a little bit, but when did it click for you? Like, what was the, was there a specific moment that you decided to accept that, you know, you were an alcoholic and surrendered to the process? Because I remember you did not go in easy. You were very, very angry. (laughs) Yes, I will be the first to say your poor, sweet daddy. We will have been married for 29 years. And, you know, I will never forget what your dad said to me when he took me. And I was angry because... I didn't want to go. I didn't think I had a problem. I was functioning. I was working out. I was, I didn't look in the mirror and think, oh gosh, I have a problem. So I was mad. And, you know, my therapist at Cumberland said, Christy, be angry, be angry. And I don't think I'm just, you know me, I'm just not an angry person, but it was good for me to embrace that feeling for the first time. And, but what your dad said to me, and I will never forget this is whether you come back to me or not, I want you to go and take care of yourself and get the healing that you deserve. And I think people that love anyone in active addiction, 
that's what they want. And so for me, surrender is an experience, I feel like. And I really surrendered when I stopped the striving. You know, I am just a workhorse, get it done, want to make everything perfect. I'm the fixer. You know, I want all things, especially for those I love. And but I wasn't loving myself and I laugh, but it was true. When I went to rehab and they gave me a name tag, I was thankful because I would look at that and I was like, I don't even know who I am anymore. It didn't happen. It wouldn't just like a switch flipped. And I thought, okay, now I surrender. I I really stopped the striving and I began to really just drop my guard and throw the mask away that I had been wearing and walk into a new life that I knew God had in store for me. And so my surrender was just the letting go of all the working I had tried to do my whole life. Definitely. And I think with you and when there was definitely a, a, a exact moment when we could all tell that both of you guys had like surrendered to the process. Yeah. And I think that it might be encouraging for other people to hear this. But if you have a family member who, you know, might be in rehab or going to rehab, you will know when that time comes, like you'll hear it. You'll feel it. I feel like you have to let them be angry at you for a little bit because they (laughs) don't really know what to do with those emotions because it's so heavy. But then they do come around and there is hope and eventually they get back to themselves. (laughs) It is also like, I mean, we got kind of lucky in it that at first when Wynn had to go and then he got out, we were like, oh, yay, Wynn's out. Like, because Wynn did 90 days. So he had a whole, he had a whole different recovery journey um, than my mom, but Wind in nine days. When wind got out, we were like, yeah, wind's out. And then my mom almost immediately went. Literally like the, a week after they moved him to Nashville. It was a week. I <laughs> remember like my dad called me and I like fell to my knees because I just couldn't believe that we were going to do it again. But in a way, <laughs> once I got over that part, I remember thinking like it was almost that we were in a good position because we had just done it one time. So we like knew that we were like recovery, like Pros. We were so familiar with the recovery community. We knew like what to listen for. We knew what to look for with my mom. And yeah, yeah. my mom was not as easy as when I will say when, when no. it's a gold star. Yeah, what was like the worst part of rehab? Was it the food? The food. But you know, yeah, I was packed to go to Hawaii. I wasn't packed to go to rehab. So yeah, that was hard. And it, and it was yeah. hard to walk back those places and spaces I had taken your brother. And so you know, a lot of days I cried because all those memories came flushing back of when I took your brother and now here I am. I'm I'm embarrassed. I'm carrying the shame like, oh, my word. I mean, my son went. Now his mom is here. I mean, there were people there that knew when and, you know, yelling out, hey, when's mom? You know, <laughs> nothing like being humbled, but, you know. I mean, there's so many funny stories I could tell. I mean, you know, when sponsor got me out of my car when I checked in, you know, but God was meeting me in a place and a space that I just had to really, I was already starting the surrender. That's for sure. Yeah. Just for some background there, mom was supposed to go to Hawaii to visit Bird the week (laughs) she went to rehab, which is just a double punch. Yeah, it was, that was tough. It was like, literally my mom was 
almost on the way. And then my dad calls me and something about my dad. I was talking about this the other day, but when my dad calls me, I know immediately what the conversation is going to be just by how he says, Hey bird. So it's oh, either totally. Hey, hey bird. Hey bird. How's your week, sweetie? Or Hey bird. And I'm like, Oh shit. Sorry. Shoot. And, um, <laughs> sorry, mom. Sorry, mom. And he calls me. He's like, Hey bird. Uh, we got to take her out to Cumberland. I was like, what in the hell? She was supposed to come to Hawaii like tomorrow. And guys, fun fact, and just a story of redemption here. My mom still has her swimsuits packed and she will be heading to Hawaii April 1st. Woo-hoo! She's coming finally. <laughs> yeah, I might have been the only girl that she that uh that arrived at rehab with the two piece. <laughs> yeah. When slipped in my rehab bag. I had to do a quick <laughs> luggage change from Hawaii to rehab. So I always said my friends, look, if we need to lay out, I've got a two-piece. We can share it. (laughs) Okay, so mom, kind of going back to just like how it was hard for you to accept it at first and how you were angry. For someone listening to this who might have a family member that they think needs to go to treatment, but they don't know how to really go about it, um, and they don't know how to kind of introduce it, what advice could you give for someone who might be hesitant or angry to go? Well, I think you... Honestly, just have to ask yourself the question, is this adding to my life or taking away? Everyone's journey looks different. And, you know, someone told me when I got out, when I was still very angry, you know, no one circles their calendar and says, oh, today I'm going to go to rehab. This is great. I mean, I will say for me, I was angry that dad took me, but in the back of my mind, I was saying in this small, weak voice, I was so thankful for the help. I was weary and I was ready to go. And for me, I was like, yes, give me 30 days just to take care of myself. So there was this small little voice telling me that. I would really advise people, you know, if if you're going into an intervention, there are definitely people out there that can guide you and help you. I think when you hear from people that truly, honestly love you and write it out, speak it to you. Um, That really helps. There's just not a perfect situation to get someone to rehab. I think generally everyone is a little angry when they go. So it takes, it's individualized, I think. You know, for me, I had a husband that loved me that wanted me to get better. So um, I think that it just, it really does look different. But there are so many resources out there that you can reach out to and hire people to help you, whatever it looks like, there is help. We hired someone to take, to help you take one to rehab. Yeah. Yes. yes. So just within those two situations, they are so different because with when we had someone help us, but mm-hmm. you know, when was it the point where he wanted help? And I think if, when people are truly struggling in addiction, they want the help. It's just, they, a lot of times don't know how to ask. So even under that anger, but what was weird with Wynn is that he literally was like, let's go. Like we had, we hired someone to help get Wynn into rehab. And literally he rolls up with my mom and Wynn's like, all right, yeah, let's go. Come on, mom, pack my bags. Like Wynn was so excited to get help that his situation was a little bit easier. But I know that there's a lot of people out here, out there who are probably listening or, you know, and they think having to say that to their family member would be like the hardest thing ever. But I think everyone will have that that voice in the back of their head. And people, when they want help, like you'll you'll see it. There are signs. Yeah. And you're, you know, and I was, and I was blessed that you know my last drunk was my miracle drunk. It walked me into recovery. 
you know, I was blessed by the fact that I had people in my life looking at me that came to my husband and said, we're worried about Christy. And I think people have those friendships in their lives. They earn the right to be heard. And I had friends that had earned the right to be heard that were worried about me. And of course you're mad at them because some of your friends are drinking too, but you know, they're not drinking like you and it looks different, but yeah, when wanted to go, but it's a scary place when you get to those chairs and you're signing in and you're giving up your life and giving up your phone and all these things. And you look at each other and you're like, how did we get here? Well, you know, mm-hmm. everyone gets there a different way. And, but what you're there to get is help and help does come. And the darkest day will become your greatest joy again. It's, it says a lot to have friends that are willing to risk you being angry with them or your friendship to make sure that you're healthy. So I think that that says a lot about the relationships that you've built with your friends. So what if, I think that this has made a lot of people uncomfortable seeing you going to rehab because it's made them look at their own habits. And, you know, if Christy went to rehab, like, shit, do I need to go? Um, oh, I was feeling the same exact way. When they were like, we, when we took, when, sorry, I had to cut you off. When we took, when um, the interventionalist sat down with us and gave us like a PowerPoint slide. Bird and I were so mad. Me and Allie were fuming. Like I was like, I was getting ready to go to Hawaii. I was fuming. And he's was such a, a fun day, such a, a fun PowerPoint day. slide. And he's like, signs that you may be an alcoholic. Are you <laughs> blacking out and forgetting what day of the week it is? And I'm like, I never know what day of the week it is. But um, yeah, uh, sorry, well, I'll add that in. I want to ask, like, if, you know, you're looking at yourself and thinking, like, am I an alcoholic? Like, what would you suggest to these people that are considering maybe giving up alcohol? Well, I think you just give yourself a break, take 30 days and look at how it changes your life. You know, for me, I got back a lot of memory, a great sleep, eating habits that were better. Now, I I know I eat a lot of sugar, but I've always eaten a lot of sugar. But, you know, I mean, take a break. You know, what I said earlier, is it adding to your life or is it taking away? Yeah, I love that. And I think that people realize, you know, I do 30-day dry January. A lot of people have quit drinking because they felt so amazing after 30 days. For me, it was 100 days. That's when it clicked. And I was like, wow, this is what it feels like to be sober. Sign me up. I'll take it. Yeah, because right now on TikTok, especially in social media, like being sober curious is kind of a trend that's happening right now. And mom, you've taught us all about, you know, alcohol alternatives, ways to dry January. What do you think the biggest misconceptions are when it comes to giving up alcohol that people might have? Well, personally for me, I thought, oh my goodness, I'm never going to have a glass of champagne again. Where's my celebration? How am I going to have a party? And I love this quote. It's from Mary Carr. It says, when I got sober, I thought giving up was saying goodbye to all the fun and all the sparkle. And it turned out to be just the opposite. That's when the sparkle started for me. And I think a lot of people, including myself, you go into it, you're like, you know, I did everything with alcohol my whole life. You know, my marriage, we'd all, we always had alcohol. And I thought, what are we going to do? Well, everything I did with alcohol, I can do sober and enjoy it a heck of a lot more. I don't have to worry that at eight 
o'clock at night, I can't drive, you know, it opens up my whole world to do more exciting things. You know, I'm discovering that I really do want to do some new things in life. I don't have children at home. If I want to pick up trail riding, I can go, thanks to my awesome kids for giving me that for Christmas, I can go on a trail ride. I can do yoga every single day if I want to. I just feel like for me, I thought my life is over and truly my life is just beginning. Definitely. So well said. And you know, one thing I remember when, because I don't want people to listen to this and think that you stepped out of rehab and it was like, (laughs) woohoo, sobriety is so awesome now. Like this is so fun. It was awesome. It definitely takes, you know, if you have a family member going into treatment and coming out, it takes, sorry, that was my laundry. It takes a second for the readjustment process. You know, you have to come oh, yeah. home. You've been, moved out of your life. I remember you looked at me when I got home from Hawaii in November and you were like, I can't find the joy. Like, where is the joy? Because a lot of people in the recovery community are like, being sober is so awesome. It's so joyful. And you said, I can't find it. And we were like, mom, like, it's going to come. It might not come the day you step out. Right. And you said one time, like, well, I don't, I'm never going to have a fancy glass again. I'm never going to have a pretty. Because if one person likes to celebrate, it is our mother. Like, <laughs> she is the queen of celebration. She's the queen of sparkle. And I would say that that has not lessened one bit since you've been yeah, sober. No. And you've learned. Like, tell us kind of about the ways that you bring in all the fun well, before, while being sober. Before you go into that, I do want to just go back to what you said, Bird. The biggest mis- misconception on our end, the people that were watching you come out of rehab, was that you would come out and it would just be like this switch. Like, life is great. It was really, really hard for like probably two months of uh, you yeah. coming out. You were depressed. You were angry. You were just not engaged. You were distant. It was really, really tough. It was, it was terrible, and it was, it was a fog I didn't want to be in. And, and Bird's right, I couldn't find my joy, and that killed me because I'm such a joyful person. And I mean, you just saying that makes me tear up, Bird, because I just, I had lost it, you know. And, and I, I think that is what is so important. It's not all rainbows and unicorns and sunshine. It was tough to come back to my town and come back sober and come back football season. season. I came back. It was like, and people kept telling me, Oh my goodness, you're coming back at the worst time ever. I'm like, Oh, great. Thanks. You know, it was was football season. It was Thanksgiving, Christmas, Christmas Eve. Oh yeah. And we're going to go to the sugar bowl, New Orleans, (laughs) the drunkest city (laughs) in the nation. And yeah, you're going to be sober, Christy. Good luck. So yeah, it was not easy. There were plenty of nights that I cried. I would go to AA and sit in my car and cry, you know, and I want to be honest, it is, it's tough. But what I was going through at that moment was I was feeling feelings for the first time in my life and I was not numbing it out with two bottles of red wine. Mm -hmm. I was letting that sink in and I look back and I'm so It was not easy. I wish I didn't have to go through that, but it was part of my process into the healing I'm in today is that I had to feel those feelings to become who I wanted to be six months down the road. Yeah. Mom, do you have a specific memory um, of when the joy started to shine through for you? I put you on the plane in January and then I literally felt like I'd gone through a boxing ring, going through all those holidays and being sober 
And then, yeah. you know what? I did get knocked up. I got COVID again and dad got it again. And we were at home by ourselves for two weeks. And, you know, that was when our healing together started because, you know, you got to talk to someone that when you can't go anywhere, you're just looking at each other. And so it was really about mid-January and I was getting stronger on my feet. I was feeling like, okay, I got stronger and I realized, okay, this is a new adventure and I don't have to be ashamed. I get a chance to do life differently. And it really did click for me that I can walk out in sobriety and it's going to be okay. And I can put a smile on my face and it really is coming from a true place in my soul because Mm -hmm. I saw hope for the first time. Yeah. And just the ways that you were able to, I think that, you know, you're such a doer and a helper person that I think like, you know, you were able to start sharing things with people like how to do dry January and just like the stories that I've heard that people have reached out to you and said, I feel like that's kind of where the joy started to come through is when you started feeling like you could help other people through your sobriety journey. Yeah, for sure. And then you're not alone. There's so many cyber curious Instagram is full of people that give you inspiration and tips. And I heard last week, you can keep the ritual. I love a pretty glass. Like you said, I love a celebration. You can keep the ritual, change the ingredients. And that's what I did in January. Remember when mom came outside with her fake wine and we were like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah. My, so Christy has found a bunch of gravy. Gravy is my favorite. I love gravy. Yeah, mom, do, I guess like you can give us a rundown of some of your favorite mocktail products. You did it on inst- on my Instagram in January. But yeah, mom comes out strutting this bottle of groovy red wine. It's just like a, what it, what is it, like a non-alcoholic wine. And me and Allie look at each other like, oh my God, we've been through all this for nothing. <laughs> PTSD. <laughs> Seriously. Wait, I want to talk a little bit about this. Um, I just feel like our whole family has changed in just such a fundamental way through all this. I mean, it's impossible not to, but like, what are some of the biggest shifts that you've seen in our family? I get to show up, you know, I mean, I think relationships were the most important thing. And I really, I became a liability when I was drinking. Yeah. And, you know, being the helper that I am, I was a liability. People had to watch me. Okay. Mom needs to go. I never wanted to be that person. You know, and what's changed is I get to see, hear, and know the people that I love so much, which is you and Wynn and dad. And and I don't have to be reminded of a conversation because you know what? I'm present now. And, you know, being present has just been a game changer. I can enjoy so many things in such a more joyful way because I'm present, you know, and and that's what being sober has given to me. It's just the ability to not numb it out, not just try to be someone I'm not. And just, I don't want to take for granted what God has given me. It's this big life. And, you know, with alcohol, I was forgetting conversations. I was forgetting special things and I don't have that in my life. I don't wake up in the morning and have this guilt of, oh my gosh, I drank too much again. My family's going to be so mad at me. Or why did I do this again? I ruined a trip. And that is so freeing to wake up in the morning and not have that in my heart anymore. Oh, yeah. 
we've all changed so much. And I think that the biggest point of change for me was I was really frustrated because we were hearing about all this great therapy you were getting and we weren't getting any help. And it was like, we needed it. And it's, it's hard. And so I think that everyone has opened up to going to therapy and all of these different things that have helped us heal. And I think for me, it was like, I was always trying to hold it together. Like I was always the one that had to keep it together. And, you know, even before this happened, like when dad was sick in the hospital with COVID and then when going and trying to be there for you and be strong. And then when you went trying to hold it together for bird and dad, and then it gets to a point where it's like, I couldn't take it anymore. And I had so much anxiety just from, it's like the beach ball. Like you, you can't push it down. And then it just comes up. And I think that getting to that point though, like that's when you start to heal. Like I was, couldn't sleep at night. Like I was waking up with horrible, just like anxiety. And that's like the point of when we started to all get healing, when you start to realize that this is not going away, you have to address it and addressing it, you know, has changed everyone for the better, I think. Yeah. Well, for me, like going off of that question, the biggest shift you've seen that I've seen personally in our family is just like, everything we do now is different. And I remember Mm -hmm. thinking, you know, when Wynn went and then when mom went, I guess when Wynn went, because I knew that if one person was going to be in recovery, that was going to change everything we did. Like all all of our vacations, we would drink, we would always have parties and celebrations. I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, everything we do is about to be different. And honestly, going into the holidays, I was kind of nervous because, you know, you have Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's Eve, back to back to back. That's like a recovery person's, you know, nightmare. It's so many holidays that involve drinking. But honestly, the biggest shift I've seen is just how amazing that time was with our family compared to any other holidays before. Because I think that most families, if it's a holiday, you're going to have like one meltdown, one fight, at least someone's not going to get along. And honestly, this was the most peaceful joyful holiday season we've ever had even with people struggling even with mom like readjusting back to the world like we literally had such a good time together because alcohol wasn't present yeah I totally agree and it's not the bonding experience I would ever say that I would want with my son but when was a rock you know I mean he's helped me in a lot of ways and I couldn't imagine being the only one to be sober that's tough so you know I'm grateful that I have him but really, you know, the the heroes are you, Allie, I mean, Bird, y'all, Dad, because it's tough on the family of the person that's chemically dependent and or the addict, however you want to phrase it. It is hard on those outside those walls when people are getting help. I just want to applaud y'all because, you know, you have stepped it up just like Dad. You have supported Wynn and I. Okay, we're not going to drink because we love you enough that alcohol is not worth that to us. We are going to stand beside you in sobriety. And a lot of people do not have that in their family. So I really am very thankful that we are a close-knit family and that we can stand beside each other, even when it's tough and different and hard. And I think that we've all seen how God's revealed to us the gifts in sobriety. Definitely. Yeah. Well, if someone is related to someone who is an alcoholic, what would you suggest about drinking? Like, do you, you know, if people are drinking in front of you, do you wish that they wouldn't? Or how do you go about that? Because I think that is hard to navigate. Yeah. And, you know, that was a lot of the work I did at onsite was finding my voice again. So I really believe that the person in recovery, you have to speak up. 
You have to speak what you need when you need it. If you don't, I mean, you know, I always say if I feel squirrely about something, I don't, I don't go. I've been now, I'm almost, I'll hit six months Wednesday and, you know, I have been at parties where people are drinking and I'm more prepared on how to handle that. But you've got to be open and honest with those people that love you. I didn't, I needed my home to be safe and dad secured that. We have no alcohol. Your dad does not drink in front of me. I don't know if it's always going to be like that, but right now it is. And, you know, I think the person that is recovering and you got to be open, you got to be honest, you got to say what you need. People cannot read your mind. You have to say, look, do you mind not drinking tonight? Or do you mind when we go to dinner, you've got to use your voice. And I'm still learning how to do that, but that is very, very important. People can't read your mind. They don't know what you need. They don't know what you want. So you got to speak up for yourself. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I think that like this should be an encouraging episode for people listening who are on both sides of recovery because like just, you know, as a family member of someone in recovery. So Allie and I personally, like we still drink, but we change, we change the way that we do that. So if we're around, you know, you and when we don't really feel the need to have a drink at dinner or to be drinking at the house, because we know that like our time with you guys and making sure that you guys feel comfortable is so much more valuable to us than having a mm-hmm. white claw by the pool. You know, it just yeah. doesn't mean if, if it's loving people and then having a drink, it just doesn't care. Yeah, you know, not worth us, it. At least. I think that though, this was probably the hardest thing we've ever gone through as a family. Thankfully we've been really blessed and haven't had to deal with anything like this before. And I do think that it really brought us closer Yes, I definitely, it's been a hard journey, you know, definitely. We've, I think we've all grown in different ways through it, but it's tough. Recovery and addiction, it's hard. And I think part of my surrender to it, I didn't want addiction to take any more of me or my family. And I think we all fought really hard to get to the place that we are now and you know, seeking out that therapy, like you said, Allie, you know, it's important. You got to take care of yourself. You have to take care of yourself and you have to listen. Okay, what do I need today? Mm-hmm. I can't caretake it to death. I can't people please it. I've got to take care of myself today. And I think all five of us have learned what that looks like. And that's a huge gift. Yeah, just Definitely. like learning to say that I'm not okay and not having to hold it together all the time. That was a big a big learning curve for me. No one's perfect, you know, and people don't know how to react to you. You know, I think that was part of my early re-entry into my life again. You know, a lot of my friends, they didn't know whether to step in, step back. No one really knows what to do. And, and that made me sad because I felt like people were walking around me on eggshells. But that's normal. No, there's not a manual that says, okay, this person needs this after they walk back in to their college drinking town, do A, B, and C, you know, and I think that's another place where you have to use your voice. Like, yeah, I'd like to go on a walk today or, hey, do you want to go to lunch with me? I think a lot of my friends did not know what I needed, but to be honest, I didn't really know what I needed in those early days. Yeah, definitely. You know, if you're listening to this and you're a family member of recovery, just knowing that also like your feelings are valid too and like what Mm -hmm. you go through, you might not be the one getting checked into a rehab facility, a treatment facility to get help, but like 
your mental state is still just as important as a person who's getting treatment. And I think honestly, something they don't talk about as much as being a family member on the outside, you have to take those additional steps. Like Ali said, you know, you have to go seek out a therapist. You have to check in with each other. So just knowing that it's not just the person in treatment, but it's like the whole family unit. Everyone has to be checking in on each other. And I do think that it's really just grown our bond as a family and Mm -hmm. the way that we love each other better. And now all of our time together is so much more intentional than it used to be. So, yeah. Can you tell us some of your favorite resources for people that might be interested in learning more about this or trying out sobriety? Yes. The number one book I will say that really was a game changer for me is Quit Like a Woman by Holly Whitaker. She has a cyber society on the internet as well. And her book to me was where it clicked. There's just so many nuggets in this book and I listened to it, but I'm going to purchase it because there's so many things I want to underline. And I follow her on social media. And just for me, it was when she said, why are you putting poison into your body. And y'all know me, I have been trained in every kind of exercise there is. I love eating right. Like it's just part of who I've always been. And when that was said, it was like, I was canceling out everything good I was doing for myself by pouring basically poison into my body alcohol is not good for anyone, whether you're an alcoholic or not, it's just not. And when she said that, that really clicked. So I love her book, Catherine Gray. Her book is great. The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober. Also, I love, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts in those first mm-hmm. early weeks of being home. Hello Someday is awesome. I listen to her usually every day or every other day. Sober Yoga Girl is great. Her podcaster usually 30 to 35 minutes of, you know, just there's so many podcasts out. You literally can search sober and so many different podcasts will come up. But the Hello Someday and Cyber Yoga Girl are my two favorites in those books. Yeah, and that was, that was something that, you know, we were able to do as family members would be that my mom would find a good podcast that really resonated with her and send it to us. And then we were able to listen to that and kind of learn what she's learning. Because in the same way, like as, as the person in recovery is learning about their new life, you have to learn about it as a family member. But I just found a lot of joy in listening to the podcast that my mom was listening to because I was learning tons of things that I didn't know about recovery. So yeah. that was fun for me. It's as a well. whole new world for everyone. So the more you it know, it really is. And I love Sarah Blondin, of course, on Insight Timer. I me too. Her voice is so calming to me. Dear one. I mean, when she says that, I can just totally get into a peaceful state. So meditation is huge for me in my recovery. Yoga is huge. It's so funny because remember when I like first started meditating and I'm like, mom, I'm meditating. And you're like, what are you doing? It's just wild that now here you are meditating every day. And my 78 year old mother is meditating. I mean, we're all shout out to our grandmother, Nina, who's like one of our most loyal listeners. And she's now on the meditation train. So we love you, Nina. She's on the meditation and therapy train. Thanks to go call your sister. So proud of you. I love it. There's, yeah, the meditation. And I think that's a part that people need to hear too, that your recovery is your recovery. Your recovery is not going to look like your best friends or someone else you knew. It's your recovery. You know, my recovery is different because I have yoga, meditation, breath work. I do all these other things. And I think, you know, that's what I didn't realize that my 
recovery could be my recovery. I owned it. It was mine. And I think that's important for people to realize. And, and another thing too, I, it's, it's, I tell people this all the time. I circled up my sober friends. I really went after the people that had already gotten the t-shirt. Someone said that and I thought, yeah, that's right. I, I went after those people that were 10 and 15 years sober. And I, I've never done this before. Tell me what you're doing that works. Ask for help. I have to constantly ask for help because this is my first rodeo at being sober. Mm-hmm. I need all mm-hmm. the help I can get. Yeah, definitely. Well, going back to what Bird asked earlier, what are some of your favorite non-alcoholic brands for people if they want to check it out? Yes, I love Groovy Dropper Seco. It's my favorite. There's an auto ship and it is just the bottle is beautiful. It looks like it has a like Tiffany blue label on it. I feel so special in my Wahachi wine glasses. I love it. I love a um, Topo Chico, of course. Dad has perfected the art of a French 75 without the alcohol. And really any restaurant, especially where I live, can make any of my favorite drinks minus the alcohol. I love a bee's knees and it is fabulous without the alcohol. So gravy is probably my top one that I really do love. Yeah. And that makes it where you're able to roll into a function and still have a bottle of something and put it in a pretty glass and feel just as included. You know, you don't have to sit there and drink a water bottle. You don't have to feel like. (laughs) And I learned that on the podcast too. Like you don't have to drink eight Diet Cokes at a party. You know what? There's nothing embarrassing about taking your alcohol-free drinks into a party because you better believe I took my wine into a party so there's no difference. I just take my own little cooler. It's alcohol free so that I don't just have to drink water or dot cake all night. Yeah. My favorite mm-hmm. thing is when I go out to restaurants, especially in Hawaii, because I know you guys are coming soon, is noticing, you know, what restaurants cater to the recovery community. I love, 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 which I never even paid attention to, a lick of attention to before, but I love seeing when restaurants have a mocktail list. It makes me so happy. Like I have no mm-hmm. notes of places in Hawaii that have intensive mocktail list so I can take mom. So it's like you start to open your eyes to so many things. And there might be times where I go out with my friends. Truly, this is not a lie at all. But I'll go out with my friends. I want to feel like I'm part of the night, but I just don't feel like drinking and I'll order a mocktail. And no one once looked at me and been like, you're so weird for getting a mocktail. It's like, yeah, vibes. I don't want to spend as much money and I don't really want to drink. So I'm going to get a mocktail, you know, and I just think it's a it's a cool thing. Yeah. And, and someone, I heard someone say recently, you know, when you quit alcohol, people are like, what? You're not drinking? Like there's, there's not another drug that, you know, people question so much. Like you don't show up at a party like, oh y'all, I'm not going to do cocaine tonight. You know, it's just, it's like alcohol is this like, you know, if you're not drinking, what's wrong with you? Are you pregnant? I mean, thank God you didn't ask me that anymore because I'm not in that age. But, you know, I mean, people think they can't wrap their brain around why you're not drinking. It's, it's weird. They don't understand it. But you know what? This is such a different time because there are so many people really walking out sobriety. And again, about that podcast, Hello Someday, she has a podcast about all the celebrities that are walking in sobriety. And it, it's really fun to really hear and listen to people that are doing this cyber life. Well, that's good advice for people like us who are, you know, on the other side, just don't 
act like that towards people. Like if someone's not drinking, don't make a big deal about it. Like why would you? Stay in your lane. (laughs) Yeah. Don't don't tell people that are new in sobriety, do not sneak a beer out of the fridge, Christy. Don't say that either. Did someone say that? Yeah. Oh my God. You should be lucky we're not going to drop your name on here. Um, But also it's crazy how much recovery is translating, especially into big cities. Like mom, mom has a really big recovery community in Nashville, but I was in LA in November and I'm walking down the street and there's a coffee shop and next to the coffee shop is alcohol free liquor store. And it was just full of beautiful bottles beautiful little treats like all these things that were for the recovery community it was and it was packed there was not just like a few people in there it was packed people getting all these like beautiful things and there's just such a a big community emerging so I think people are starting to realize like their lives are so full and it doesn't have to involve alcohol there's so many and in bigger city there's meetups there's sober yoga there's dance parties there's so many sober activities going on around the country um it is so amazing to read about it. I live in a smaller town, but you know what? One day we might have that too. Um, Mom, so I know you have to head to a party, of course. So can you tell us what is a mantra that you're living by right now? I will find the joy and the sacred in every day as I surrender to my stillness. That's a great one. That's awesome. And mom is hitting six months on Wednesday. Woo! And when just hit nine. nine months. So we have, and you better believe that Christy's already planned a full celebration for Wins one yes. year. Oh, yes. So I can't wait. The party, the party continues. Here's our would you rather question specifically for mom. Mom, would you rather never be able to eat a sweet ever again no cookies <laughs> nothing or never be able to do yoga or any form of workout again that is so hard <laughs> those are like two of my very favorite things i know that's why it's specific you to have you. to pick oh my word I mean, I have to exercise, so I, I would have to let my cookie fix go. I don't believe wow. that at all. I was I not expecting that. that. You yeah, would never I, eat a cookie again. You would never eat a cookie again. But I feel like if I did not move my body and get to do, which I love yoga so much, I would just die a slow death. <laughs> I might die a slow death anyway, not eating cookie fix. <laughs> which I presently only have two in the freezer at this moment, which I Y'all, am. Cookie Fix is mom's favorite cookie store in Birmingham, Alabama. She gets the dough shipped to our house and she's very, very stingy with them. My mom located someone who's a freshman with me at Ole Miss, who I barely knew at the time. I have no shame. Who, to bring her cookie fix when she went home to see her parents. Like an 18-year-old. <laughs> She was very happy to do it. Mom, this is a funny story. Um, when you were drinking, remember when you cooked all the cookie fix at once and you put it oh, all on the cookie tr- on the um you put them all in the oven together in like this big lump and then you woke up the next morning and you were like, Where's all the cookie fix? Oh, okay. <laughs> a gift yeah. of somebody. I will never do that again, ever. Ever. Well, yeah. I just am so proud of you two girls. I love that this podcast has been started by two of my favorite people that I love so very much. I'm so honored that you wanted your 
old mom to be on here. I love y'all to pieces. Mom, thank you for joining us. We hope everyone has enjoyed this sobriety story. I hope people can find some encouragement from it. I know that we definitely have learned so much and we just love you and you are our favorite guest we've ever had. And you're doing such an amazing job of inspiring people. And we just really admire you for how honest you have been about the whole journey. And just thank you for getting on and telling your story. Yeah. Remember, sober is sexy and sober (laughs) is cool. Yes. And I I love the part too. Bird reminded me in early sobriety. She said, mom, you're just like a little bitty baby. And that is very true. (laughs) Maybe I'm getting up to the toddler years. Maybe. Well, yeah. I love you so, so much, girls. Wow. Love you, Mom. Bye. Bye. Bye.